everyone. It's so good to be with you today. I just want to say to those of you, like uh, was said earlier, who are new, but also maybe new post-COVID, welcome and welcome home today, okay? It is so good to see your faces. And for all of you online, we just want you to know we love you and we remember you today. As you gather, as you choose to gather with us online, uh, we miss you guys. And uh, But isn't it good just to be in God's house today, just to be in his presence and uh, I'm excited to jump into the Word this morning. For those of you who are joining us, we're in this summer-long series on spiritual conflict, which has been awesome, I think. I think. I don't know. I'm a little bit biased. Uh, but let's jump in this morning. So I want to share with you one of the highlights of my summer. It's been an awesome summer, hasn't it? The weather's been beautiful. Uh, things have been relatively normal. But one of the highlights of my summer has been having the opportunity to join and help out with my son's football team. Uh, the Canada Knights. And my son, who's turning 11 in September, he wanted to try football for the very first time. And, you know, I love that because growing up, football was my favorite sport. I played through high school into university as well. And so I have a love for the game and I was excited to jump in and just help. And one of my responsibilities as coach is to come up with what is called a playbook, okay? A playbook is a, a list of all of the plays that we run as a team to try to defeat our opponent. And we kind of store all these plays together in one play. I don't know what's funny about that, but <laughs> we store all these plays in one place. And, uh, and so my job is to not only sort of create these plays in these playbooks, but to figure out a way that we can signal these plays from the sideline to our team in a manner that we communicate in a simplicity, but also that the other team doesn't know what we're trying to do. And so we have this elaborate top secret code, you know, things like colors and numbers and words that we will sort of signal to our team, hoping that the other team doesn't sort of pick up our, our, our code and decode it. And as I was doing this, as I was preparing uh, these the signals, it reminded me of a, a time when I was playing uh, back in my high school days. Wow, uh, during one game, the coach that was on the other team that we were playing also happened to be my coach during a summer team that I played on. And so as we, the game began, I looked over and I noticed that this coach was using the signals that he all, for his team that he also used for our team in the summer. And I looked over and for a moment, I kind of stood there in disbelief because I was thinking, like, did he forget that we were on the same team just weeks prior? Was this some sort of trick in order to get me to, you know, to think that to deceive us or to sort of uh, trap us into something? But sure enough, he signals in the plays, you know, does the whole hand signals and all that. And I said, okay, the ball is going to go there. And sure enough, the ball went there. And I said, well, this is going to be fun. And so the next time he signaled it in, you know, I relayed the message to my teammates. I said, guys, I know the signals. The ball's going here. And sure enough, the ball went there, and it was the, literally the best game of my life. It was funny enough, too, is as we were shaking hands when the game is over, we never talked about it, but when he shook my hand, his eyes went like this. I think he realized that, oh, my gosh, this guy, I forgot all about this guy. You know, what if there was a way for you and I to know exactly what the enemy is doing before the enemy does it. What if there was a way, what if I could tell you that the secret code that Satan uses to try to hurt 
and, and, and come against God's people, that it has been cracked. That when it comes to spiritual conflict, the spiritual conflict that we are in as believers, that we already know what the devil is going to do before the devil even does it. And it's why I want to call this message today, The Devil's Playbook. Because as Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. Yes, the enemy has his ways, his schemes, his designs, or else we wouldn't be in spiritual conflict in the first place. But not only does God wish to expose the devil's playbook through his word, but God gives us the power through his Holy Spirit to always be one step ahead, to not only know what Satan is doing, but to stop Satan in his tracks. And I know that for some of you, this series, this summer series on spiritual conflict has tested you in a lot of ways. You know, it's not every Sunday you show up to church and the pastor is talking about things like Satan or demons or the supernatural. I promise you it's not the norm, okay? I've been a pastor for 13 years, and I'm telling you, this is the first time that I've ever preached on these subjects, uh, let alone sat through a sermon. And I chuckled to myself several times this week, thinking that there's going to be some poor soul that's just showing up to church for the first time, and or perhaps just say, hey, let's just go check out Life Center on Sunday. Why? Let's just go. I heard cool things. And here they are, right in the thick of this series on spiritual conflict. But here's where my confidence comes from. My confidence doesn't come from what I know, it's from who Jesus is. And I have to reconcile the fact today that Jesus not only took the reality of the supernatural seriously, but he dealt with the, demo the demonic and the spiritual forces on many occasions. And one of the metaphors that Jesus used when talking about the supernatural was a house. He used the metaphor of a house. And in Luke chapter 11, if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Luke chapter 11. We're going to be there the majority of the morning. We see this story of Jesus delivering a man who was demonized, okay? And this demon, this man was mute because of this demonic, you know, um, uh, possession. And when Jesus delivers the man of this demon, suddenly the man is able to speak again. And this caused the crowds to marvel. But there were others in who witnessed this miracle who were not so impressed and began to criticize and accuse Jesus of potentially casting out this demon, not with the power of God, but actually with the power of Satan. That they didn't deny the reality of a miracle that has taken place, but that they had felt and believed that the source of this miracle was not from God, but was from Satan. And of course, realizing how ridiculous of a statement that actually is, Jesus has this to say, Luke chapter 11, 17 to 18. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided household falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? Continuing verse 20. But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. What Jesus does is states the obvious. You know, why would Satan cast out Satan? What good would that do? What sense does that make? On the contrary, when Jesus delivers the man, it is to Jesus, as he demonstrates, a clear sign to them that the kingdom of God is advancing and the kingdom of darkness is retreating. 
Satan is a strong man, no doubt. For long he has guarded his territory fully armed, but Jesus is the stronger man, amen, who binds up the strong man and so that he can plunder his house. So when it comes to spiritual conflict, I want you to know this, that while we acknowledge and recognize that Satan is strong, that strength has its limitations. That it's God who is all-powerful, all-knowing, all-seeing, and Satan is not all-powerful, all-knowing, and all-seeing. And so what in this fight against God, what the enemy does is that the enemy is always at a disadvantage. And so what the enemy does is seeks to recruit other demons, which are really just fallen angels. We remember that Satan is a, a demon, a ch the chief of all demons. He is a fallen angel who, as Second Peter said, has sinned against God. They participated in sin, and he enlists the, their help as his infantry engaging in, in ground-level warfare by doing two things, blinding unbelievers to the truth and tempting believers to sin. That is their work. That is how they inflict warfare on God's creation. They seek to tempt us, tempt us to sin, and they also tempt unbelievers to uh, forsake and neglect God's truth. And what the demonic seeks to accomplish here on earth, as Luke, seen in Luke 11, and every other time Jesus encounters, is what is known as a stronghold. They seek to, to create a stronghold in a person's life. Now, a stronghold is a word we see in the Bible used 50 times, which denotes this idea of a fortress that has very little access to it. That this, this mighty fortress where you cannot go in and you cannot go out. And that is what the enemy does. It, it tries to create strongholds in order to take hold of an individual in order to exert their influence and authority. Now, before I go any further today, I think it's really important that I, I want to say this, and I really want us to understand that when it comes to the supernatural and things like when we talk about the demonic, we have to rid ourselves, empty ourselves of cultural descriptions and misconceptions, okay? That if you're anything like me, you were raised in an upbringing to have a very creative imagination, a cultural upbringing, maybe even a religious upbringing, to have a very creative imagination that sometimes the supernatural looks more like something you see in a horror movie or maybe a villain from a Star Wars movie than it does anything we see in the Word of God. I think we have to be careful when it comes to our own misconceptions because all that they do is they take us away from what is our highest calling, and that is to have compassion and love towards people who are being held captive by a stronghold. But while we rid ourselves of these misconceptions, we absolutely have to take seriously the reality of strongholds in our lives and the lives of others. Because when someone is under a stronghold, here's what the enemy tries to exert and, and influence in their lives. Number one, they try to hide and cover up the effects of sin. That the God's purpose in your life is to reveal, is to uncover, is to bring what is in the darkness into light. And the enemy's goal is to conceal what the Holy Spirit is trying to reveal. For example, you know, if God is love, that is what his word says, then the enemy will seek to hide the truth that when you see when the goodness of God, when his love, when his mercy is being poured out upon your life, he will, the enemy will seek to conceal that truth. John 3, 20 to 21 sort of brings this point home where it says, For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Number two, we see this work of disruption, that the enemy wants to disrupt God's work in your life. 
you know, while the enemy has no power to create a problem in your life out of nothing, what the enemy does do, though, is seek to aggravate problems that already exist. That the work of God in your life, sometimes we wish and we hope and, and, and falsely uh, claim that it looks more like a, a business presentation with a graph that everything is always up to the right, you know what I mean? You know, our, our walk with God, our journey is more like seasons. Seasons where God seeds, where God waters, where God grows, and he, and he plows, and he sows, and he reaps. And, but the desire of the enemy is that in every season that God is doing, the enemy wants to disrupt that very work that comes in that specific season. Number three is temptation. That the enemy will tempt you and I to return to our bondage. That as you are becoming free from your stronghold, you will be tempted by your own will, by your own choosing to go back into that stronghold. Like the enemy, or like Israel in the wilderness, wanted to go back to their Egyptian captivity. The enemy will tempt us in our particular areas of vulnerabilities, where we are weak. You know, we all grow up with childhood, you know, in our childhood and into adulthood uh, with our own areas of vulnerabilities and our weaknesses. And the enemy will seek to tempt and, and press on those areas. Know today that when the enemy does put thoughts into our minds, ultimately it is you and I who are responsible for what we do with those thoughts. What we are called to do is to stand firm and to not return, as Paul says in Galatians 5.1, do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Number four is a spirit of fear, not to be confused with the emotion of fear, that there is an unhealthy fear that can dwell in us, that is predicated on two things, that on the perception of both God's ability, but also Satan's ability. If we can fall under the trap where we overemphasize and we believe that the enemy is more powerful than he really is, but at the same time fall under the trap of believing that God is not able to do so much more than we could ever ask and imagine. Number five is deception. How many of you know that the enemy is a liar? That he's a liar, that the very first offensive, his very first attack, the very first play that he called against mankind was what? It was lies. It was deception. He twisted the truth. He distorted God's word. He contradicted God's ways. And then six, and finally, is accusations. Let us not forget that the title of Satan, his actual name means the accuser. It is his title. It is his function. Satan loves to accuse believers with negative statements or thoughts about yourself, about God, or about others. The goal here is to get us to define ourselves by our struggles. How many of you know that you walked in seasons where you've defined yourself, where you believed who you were was what your struggle was, and not what Christ has accomplished at Calvary? I see this last one, accusation, as being a generational and a cultural stronghold here in Canada. That we love to tear down. We love to criticize. We love to throw rocks. But I love what Derwin Gray says here. He says, I'd rather be criticized for building bridges than be cheered for blowing them up. And that is why we stress the importance of spiritual unity. Because when holes, you know, when, when we are divided, when there's division, when we tear one another down, they're literally ripping holes in our armor, places and, and creating openings for the enemy to come in. And we don't want to give the enemy one step, one foothold in our life. Spiritual unity is the armor. It is the protection around the body and about, around our individual lives. 2 Timothy 2, 23-25 says it this way, 
have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they only do what? They breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. Why? That God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of truth. You know, there is no doubt this is the devil's playbook. And these are the ways he attacks us, creating strongholds in our lives and the lives of others. But just like that coach on the other team learned, you can have the playbook, but that playbook is powerless over your opponent if they already know your plays. Like Jesus said, if by the finger of God I cast out demons, that means that the kingdom of God has come upon you, has come upon us. That means that not only are we going to know what the devil will do, but we have been given the power and the authority that comes with God's kingdom to stop the enemy right in his tracks. So and here's how we do that. James chapter 4, 7 to 8. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. What I want you to know today is that there are two things that are necessary when it comes to breaking free and staying free of your spiritual strongholds. First, we must resist the enemy. We absolutely, undoubtedly, no question, have to resist the enemy. Because if we don't resist him, who will? You know, if you don't resist the enemy when it comes to the lives of your spouse, your children, your family, who is going to resist the devil on behalf of them? We must resist the devil because when we do, he com it comes with a promise that he will flee from you. Not because he wants to, but he has no choice. He will flee because no matter how strong he is, Jesus is the stronger man in every moment and circumstance. Amen? And if Jesus is the stronger man and his spirit lives in you, who then is stronger? Is it the enemy? Or is it you? Or is it me? Like when the 72 returned to Jesus, rejoicing, saying, Jesus, you will never believe it, that the demon, even the demons were subject to us in your name. And Jesus is like, well, no, duh. I've given you my authority. I've given you my spirits. When the devil is resisted, he will flee. Like Jesus says in Luke 11, verse 24, that when the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, does Jesus say if, or does he say when? Does he say if the evil spirit leaves you? He says when the unclean spirit has gone out of a person. See, what happens is that when the enemy is resisted, the unclean spirit, that is a word that is used to describe the demonic, it goes out of that person and it begins to seek rest. Meaning it will leave you and it begins to go and look for someone or somewhere else to create a stronghold. But in this instance, in the story that Jesus is telling, the unclean spirit has no place to go. And so it decides, let's go back to the house and take a little peek. Remember the metaphor that Jesus used of a house? Let's go have a look at that house that we once inhabited, that place that we once called our home. And verse 25 says, And when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. Now hear me, please, because that's what happens next is the most important thing I will say all morning that when it comes to breaking strongholds and staying free of strongholds, when it comes to that today, 
It is not enough to simply clean the house of what is wanted. Yes, when you resist the devil, he will flee because the evil spirit has no choice but to go. But a house that is swept clean is, while it is void of any unclean spirit, at the same time, a house swept clean is left spiritually unprotected. It is vulnerable. It is open to attack. And as this story goes, it is even more vulnerable than before. And sadly, many do just this and only this, that we resist the enemy and he goes, but we turn to things like morality or religious acts or good works, thinking that that is what is necessary, that that is what is required of me. Yes, my demons have gone. Yes, my stronghold has been broken, but all I do is sweep the house clean and put things back into order. But know today that ultimately that is fruitless. Why? Because it is void of any spiritual power. Luke eleven twenty six says, then it goes. And it brings seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. By leaving the place clean but unprotected, what happens is that evil spirit returns with an even stronger army. And it says that it came and, it, and they entered and they dwelled there. That word dwell, it means a permanence to the word. It's the same word that Paul uses in Ephesians to talk about Christ coming and dwelling in your hearts. There's a permanence when Christ comes and dwells in your hearts. And the word being used here is that the evil spirit returns and it dwells. It says, this was once my home and now I'm making it my home for forever. So the whole story, and really I think this whole series really does rest on one question, and that is this. Who occupies the house? Who occupies your house? Who dwells within you? Because it's not about how neat and tidy your house is. It's not about how much you put things back into order, but it's who dwells within you. Who dwells within you? James says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. But that's just one side of the coin, isn't it? He says also this, draw near to God. Draw near to God. And what does God do? He draws near to you. Breaking free and staying free of strongholds happens by drawing near to God because drawing near to God results in his drawing near to you. That as we draw near to him, as we trust him, as we love him, as we surrender our lives to him, as we obey his word, he brings to us, he draws near to us his love and his grace and his power and the fullness of his kingdom. I love how this says here in Ephesians 3, 14 to 18. Paul says this, when I think of all this, I fall to my knees and I pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts. Let me say that again. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you what? strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. 
May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be able to be complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. As we trust, surrender, love him, our roots grow down deep into his love. As we draw near, as we abide, our roots grow, grow down deep into his love. And as a result, God keeps us strong through his spirit. Why? Because Christ has made his home in your hearts. And so when it comes to spiritual conflict, it has to be more than just resist the devil. Yes, he will flee from you. But without the one who is within you today, Without the Holy Spirit, we as individuals, your, our families, our church, are nothing more than a house swept clean yet unoccupied. And so the question that I will leave you is this, who occupies your house? Who dwells within you today? Perhaps God might be revealing to you today that what, who occupies your house is not who should be occupying your house that there have been strongholds that have been built up over time and God is revealing to you that these strongholds, while strong, that there is a stronger man who is able to break these strongholds and to bring you to complete and total healing. Perhaps you maybe recognize that you have resisted, but you have fallen back on other measures, which is to sweep the house clean and to put things back in order by your own strength and by your own power. Today, would you invite God to come Yes, the work of sweeping and cleaning and putting things in order is 100% necessary. Don't get me wrong. But it can't stop there. We need to invite God to come and occupy the house, to invite God to dwell within you today. This is what it means to draw near to God, to ask and invite God, as Paul says, to make Christ, to make a home in your hearts. And so would you do that today? Maybe that is a first-time invitation. Maybe that is a first-time-in-a-long-time invitation. Or maybe that is an invitation that you want to make over and over and over again as you journey with Christ. Would you stand to your feet? Would you just pray that with me today? Jesus Christ, make your heart, make my heart your home today. Make my heart your home. Lord, we thank you today that there is power in the name of Jesus to break strongholds. That the sin that has at times wards just reigned so freely, that God, that we celebrate today that by the power of Christ, sin can be broken, that sin has been broken. And there's a testimony of people here today who can testify to that, that while we were once not free, we are now free in Christ. God, I pray, Lord, as we are instructed to, that we will resist the enemy, that we will push back when it comes to our children and our families and our loved ones. We will do whatever it takes to make sure that the enemy has nowhere to go. Lord, protect them in Jesus' name, we pray. But God, as we resist, may we resist by also drawing near to you. May we Never, ever, ever think that what is enough is in our own power, that sweeping clean our house is all that we really need to do to live a good life. God, let the question, who occupies my house, be a question that dwells in our hearts today. That Christ, you stand at the door of our hearts and you knock. 
And all we have to do is open the door and let you in. Christ, you want to make your home in our hearts today. And so whether that it's a question that we, what is that an invitation we are saying for the first time, first time in a long time, or that's a, just a que- an invitation we need to make every single day, we say that one more time. Would you make your home in our hearts? Would you make your home in our hearts? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I want to, before we dismiss, I just want to leave you with our prayer point, as you know or may not know. We've been praying this summer, walking the city. We're over 40,000 kilometers pledged uh, to pray, walk our city. And here's our prayer focus for the week. Let's pray for freedom over ungodly habits, sin, and character issues for ourselves, our families, and our neighbors. As Galatians 5, 16 to 24 says, and I'll leave you with this, let this serve as a benediction. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of your flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I don't think he's missing anything there, is he? I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, self-control, kindness. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And all God's people say, amen. So as you go, may you walk in the Spirit, stand firm, be bold, draw near, and resist. Amen. Have a great Sunday. God bless. (laughs) 